Hello and welcome to the podcast for the June 2012 issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here and I'm joined this month once again by John McConnell, although not for the whole of the podcast as we are now introducing monthly uh, author interviews, which is terrific. John, walk through some of the highlights from this month's issue for us. Well, Richard, this is an issue which we're taking to the International Conference on Infectious Diseases in uh, Bangkok, which is taking place in the the middle of June. So we've got something of a, a global health focus and also a couple of papers which look at particular issues for um, Southeast Asia. So you will be hearing from the author of a paper which we have on poor quality uh, anti-malarials in uh, Southeast Asia and in Africa. And then as I say we've got some, uh, some other papers which also address developing world issues. Thanks, John. Do you want to just uh, go through some of the titles of the content? Yeah, well, we've got a, um, we've got a randomised trial which looks at uh, giving a cyclovir to people who are co-infected with uh, HIV and, um, and HSV. We've got a systematic review and meta-analysis on treatment outcomes of children with multi-drug resistance tuberculosis. Children tend to be neglected when it comes to tuberculosis treatment and particularly to uh, MDR-TB treatment. Uh, and this uh, meta-analysis analysis shows that you can get as good treatment outcomes with uh, children as you can with adults. And then accompanying that paper in the review section, we've got a uh, a review of um, the management of children exposed to multi-jug resistant uh, tuberculosis. The um, final paper in the research section looks at the impact of haemoglobinopathies. So these are things as such as the thalassemias on the epidemiology of malaria. And I think as a sort of um, the general take-home message here is that the haemoglobinopathy can protect against, particularly against severe malaria, but they don't seem to have a protective effect against uncomplicated malaria. The one remaining review article which I haven't mentioned is a systematic review of community-acquired bacterial bloodstream infections uh, in the developing countries of uh, South and South Southeast Asia. Many thanks indeed, John. And now let's hear more about the very important issue of poor quality antimalarials. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of this review, Gorvika Nayar. Govika Nayar, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Infectious Diseases. You're one of the authors on a very important review paper in the June issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. This concerns the troubling problem of drug quality in relation to malaria treatment. Can you just remind us, summarise, the actual global burden that malaria is taking on the world stage? Malaria is an enormous problem. 3.3 billion people are at risk of contracting this disease, and up to 1.2 million die from it every year. This burden is enormous and can be prevented if drugs available to treat malaria were effective, of good quality, and used correctly. While there are no global estimates on the exact scale of poor quality medicines, Our study highlights that the problem is widespread and needs immediate attention. Apart from the obvious increased morbidity and mortality from these medicines, they promote drug resistance, which has dangerous public health implications, especially for malaria. Poor quality drugs often have lower than the recommended levels of active pharmaceutical ingredient, which will kill some parasites but allow for resistance to develop and select resistant parasites. The global burden of malaria in the last decade, you know, we've had a lot of progress. Um, It's gone down significantly, but this progress has been dependent on the long-term availability of effective anti-malarial drugs, especially artemisinin. And as we have reports of artemisinin resistance surfacing on the Thai-Cambodian border, it's imperative that we safeguard our artemisinin combination therapies 
because they are our only hope to maintain progress towards global malaria eradication and poor quality medicines are putting this goal at a major risk. Thanks very much indeed. And yes, of course, the one of the papers documenting the rise of artemisinin resistance on the Thai-Cambodia border was reported in The Lancet not so very long ago. In terms of the source of these poor quality antimalarials, could you outline what you think the main origins of the source of these problem drugs are? There have been many factors that lead to the existence of poor quality antimalarials. So first, it's important for us to understand what poor quality antimalarials are. These drugs include counterfeit medicines. These drugs include degraded medicines. These drugs include substandard drugs. For counterfeiting and falsification, which has really been the focus of our paper, it's essential to note that the economic incentives that cause for falsification of antimalarials far surpass the risks involved in their production and sale. With that, antimalarials are widely self-prescribed. They have an erratic supply and frequent stockouts. And with that said, they make up about 25% of the drugs consumed in malarious countries. In short, the demand for antimalarial drugs is enormous. Overall, the large profit margins, coupled with the lack of drug regulation systems and the absence of punitive measures, makes these medicines very attractive targets for counterfeiters. And in this particular review, you've basically reviewed published and unpublished documentation, haven't you, about the quality or rather the poor quality of antimalarials. Can you give us an insight into how you went about doing that? I would like to mention that our findings here are not estimates of the prevalence of poor quality antimalarial drugs. Our findings were purely a snapshot of the data available, the only estimates we have as of now on this issue. We reviewed published literature and we got some unpublished literature from the period of 1999 to 2012. We looked at studies that provided us with sample numbers uh, that gave us information on chemical analysis and packaging testing of the drugs themselves particularly in Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, where the burden of malaria is the highest. We looked at data. We got our data from PubMed, WHO documents, anti-counterfeiting networks online, and confidential data from the experts. Our findings were, to some, quite shocking and to others, you know, very natural, that uh, our review suggests that up to 36% of anti-malarial drugs collected in Southeast Asia were falsified, whereas in Sub-Saharan Africa, a third of the drugs that were tested failed chemical assay analysis. Now, this is fairly large. These are, I appreciate this is a snapshot, not official data as such, but these are large proportions, aren't they, when you think of the number of people who are needing these drugs? Absolutely, and it is an immediate and urgent threat to the health of the most vulnerable populations with malaria and children who, you know, are at the most at risk for of dying from malaria. So it's, it's an urgent concern. It's extremely important that some action be taken. I think there's been a lot of lip service on this issue, but not much action. So we're hoping that this paper gives evidence to support that this is a problem and it requires a change in the way we're thinking about it. Related to a question earlier, but specifically the issue of counterfeit drugs. This is something you have covered, haven't you, which you've just mentioned. Is the situation with counterfeit antimalarials similar or, or different to poor quality overall? Do people know where these counterfeit drugs are being made and where they're coming from? 
We do have some information on where these drugs are made and how they are distributed, but the current data available don't suggest any definitive sources or supply chain entry points or countries as leading producers or distributors of these drugs. We do know that they're widely available and can be bought at local shops, at health facilities, at pharmacies, at grocery stores, and most popularly online. Our study shows that poor quality medicines were available in seven countries in Southeast Asia and 21 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. But again, this is a snapshot of the problem, a tip of the iceberg, as many of cases of counterfeiting and falsification go unreported or reported to the wrong agencies or kept confidential. The Interpol does track um, these drug distribution networks, and so do sometimes pharmaceutical companies that might have noted their product being counterfeited. But that's sort of the, the essence of the information we have on drug distribution systems for counterfeit medicines. And can you tell from your data, given that it is a snapshot, is this sufficient data to, to have a clear call for action? What needs to be done, do you think? There's no quick solution to address the problem of poor quality drugs. It's a complex problem and it requires a multifaceted solution. First, there's a need for a global consensus on the definitions of poor quality medicines, because if we don't have a clear definition, taking any action is difficult, especially internationally, there's a need for consensus on this issue. There's also a need more specifically on cheap and portable point of care and point of purchase diagnostics that help us test for medicine quality. Such a diagnostic would empower medicine inspectors, healthcare providers, and the general public to ensure the quality of the anti-malarial medicines that they're receiving. In this light, it's critical that routine national surveys of the drug supply chain and public markets be conducted to ensure safety of the national drug supply. While these interventions sound great and something that we you know, can do right away, these interventions will all converge about upon the national medicine regulatory authorities. And data suggests that approximately 30% of drug regulatory authorities have either no drug regulatory system or a capacity that barely functions. And this is an immediate and urgent concern and needs to be addressed. Thank you. And a final question, a corollary to, to the one that you've just answered, actually. What would the consequences be if action is not taken on this issue? Clearly a reverse in a positive trend that we've been having in tackling malaria over the past few years. Yeah, absolutely. It, if poor quality medicines are allowed to continue to flood the markets that we trust, more people will suffer from malaria and die, but the public will lose confidence in these medicines. They will lose confidence in their healthcare providers, and they will. And the financial implications to pharmaceutical brand companies are also enormous. But most importantly in all of this is that the underdosing, which can lead to drug resistance, can put 